Why? The same question, why? There's people that come here seeking substance every Sunday, seeking a word that's going to stick with them, but yet when they walk through the doors, that substance stays in here. And they, they have to wait till next Wednesday or next, sub, next Sunday to get that substance again. Some people take it for two or three days, and then it leaves. Two or three weeks, and then it's gone. But you look to your neighbor beside you, and you're like, they have this substance. Every single day at church, outside of church, they had it 10 years ago, and I'm pretty sure they're going to have it the next five years. I want that substance. Am I the only one that thinks that sometimes? I look at somebody's life, and I'm like, they have it, and I want it. So I'm, I'm going to keep trying to do what they're doing, but I'm, I'm just not getting that substance. I get it for a little while, but it's only millimeters thick. So, my first thought on why was maybe it's the it's the messages. Not to blame the pastor, but for those who don't know, preachers and pastors, evangelists, I feel like we're kind of like songwriters. We have to grab your attention first. We have to get something to get you into the lesson. We have to introduce you to it and then feed you the meat of our lesson. And once you get that meat, then you'll have that substance. And so we have to use certain words to provoke certain thoughts, certain emotions. And I feel like maybe the congregation, they get so caught up in those words. They get so caught up in his attention getter that they miss out on the actual substance in the message. Maybe that's why we live gilded lives, because we're only getting a gilded message. But I was wrong. I was completely wrong. And Jesus showed me that I was wrong through a parable. So will everyone please turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, I don't read my Bible anymore. I study my Bible. And Brother Joy talked to us about that a couple weeks ago. There's a big difference between reading your Bible and studying your Bible. Reading your Bible is good. You probably can pass a reading test or you'll know more words. But as far as God and him speaking to you, you have to study your Bible in order to get that. So now I study my Bible. And so when I get a verse, when I get a parable, I want to know what happened before that parable. I want to know what happened after that parable. And so right here, I learned that this parable... Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy by the prophet Isaiah saying that this day the people would see and not actually perceive. The people would hear and not actually understand. So therefore, God, Jesus would talk to them in parables the whole day. And if you read through here, you would notice all day he did not say anything without comparing it to something else. Which goes back to the gilded lifestyles. They would see and not actually understand. They would only get a gilded part of it. So it says, the same day when Jesus was out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude, stil- multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a soil went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears, let them hear. And I read that, and I'm like, that's good. I've heard that before. I've heard that a lot of times. That's a great parable. He uh, sower went to sow seeds, and some didn't grow, but one did because it was good soil. But that's, that's for the people that read their Bible. But I wanted to study the Bible, so I went on past this to the other parables. And we're going to go to the other parables a little bit later, but to give you all a little short passage on it, those parables, they all have some central connection. 
it was all talking about the gospel and how though the gospel is little, when somebody sows the gospel into someone's life, it grows to be great. That person nurtures it. And also the other verses, they talk about how the kingdom of heaven is expanding because of the gospel and how certain people will make it and certain people won't make it because of the way they live their lives. But this this parable right here, it doesn't have that central connection. So I want to know why. Why was this parable so different? It had to do with sowing and reaping just like the other parables, but its message wasn't the same as the other parables. In fact, this parable, its message was only about substance. If you read on, this is the way I see it. I'm just going to kind of play it my way. Think about this. You walk up to Jesus and... It's a whole, it's a lot of people. So many people that he can't stand on the shore and talk to you. So he get in a boat. and He, he ministers from the boat. And he just starts off out of nowhere. No introduction, no intention, getting no, hey, how you doing? He just goes straight into it. A soil went to sow seeds. Some fell on the wayside. The fowls of the air came and took it away. Some fell in the stony places, for with it didn't have much earth. And so when it sprang up, the sun come out and squashed it. Some fell among the thorns. And when they, the thorns sprang up, they choked that plant until it couldn't, it couldn't be fruitful. And some fell in good soil, where with it sprang up and produced much fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. Those who have ears, let them hear. And you're like, dang, that was a good message. That was, that was some stuff right there. And then you go home, it's like, so what was it really about? I mean, I heard what he said, but I didn't really understand what he said. And so the way, the way the Bible does it, it seems like maybe one of the disciples walked up to him and tapped him on the legs like, Jesus, like, wait a minute, huh? Why are you talking to them in parables? And he says, because to you, the mysteries of heaven is given. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, you understand that. But to those people, they don't know that because of how waxed their heart is. He says their hearts are wax gross. So they see and don't actually perceive anything. They hear and don't understand anything. Therefore, I speak to them in parables so that if it doesn't land in good soil, they're not losing much. But if I give it to them straight and raw, they're going to lose everything. Therefore, I talk to them in parables. You guys, there's prophets. There's higher people up who they long for the stuff that you guys have seen and can't see it. They long for the things you guys have heard and don't hear it. So blessed are you guys, but for them, they don't know. And then it looks like he turns back to them, and then he explains the verses to them. And he basically says, the person who receives seed by the wayside, this person is someone who hears the word and don't understand it. So that as soon as he walks out that door, or she walks out that door, it's gone. The evil one just comes and takes it from them because it, it didn't find ground at all. The wayside is like the, the side of the road. It's just dry, no life there. The seed is only there for the birds. Then he says, the one who received it in the stony places. This is the person who hears the word. And they understand that they receive it with joy, but they don't have any root, any foundation. So that when it springs up, the sun comes out and kills it. When tribulations and trials arise, when things get tough, they lose their faith. They lose their hope. They lose their little gospel that was sown into them on, on Sunday. They don't have it anymore. Because they don't have any foundation. Um, Jesus told a parable one time talking about a man who builds his house up on a rock. This man is someone who hears the word, understands the word, and abides by the word. So I'm going to assume that this person who receives 
see by the stony places is somebody who hears the word, understands the word, but he doesn't abide by it. Therefore, he doesn't have any foundation. Because in that parable, God explains that this guy is likened to a man who builds his house up on a rock. And when the waters come and crash against it, that house will still stand because of that foundation. So you get your foundation by hearing, by understanding, and also abiding. A lot of us, we just hear and understand. We don't take it out and try to live that word. We just hear because it, it sounds good. It's good to the soul. But living it, that's too hard. Therefore, you become like that soil, the stony places. And you will grow for a little while. But when hard things come, when trials come, you're out. You have to start all over. Then he said, the one who receives seed by the thorns. Thorns grow up and choke this seed or this plant now, and it becomes unfruitful. This is the person who hears the word of God, understands the word of God. They receive it. They live by it. But the problem is they love the world. They love that old environment. They love that, that, those old friends. So therefore, they go to those old friends. They go to their old environment with their gospel. And their love of riches, those things grow up and choke the life, choke the gospel out of that person. Not because they didn't hear it, not because they didn't understand it, not because they didn't abide by it. But they didn't want to let go of the worldly things. They didn't want to let go of those bad friends. Therefore, they're still going to lose it. And, Brother Joe, if I come down here and I give you my phone in your right hand and I put my keys in your right hand and I give you your wallet and I get her to give you everything that she has in your right hand and I ask you to shake my right hand, you won't be able to do it until you let go of everything that's in your hand and grab me. The same with you guys. If you want to grab a hold of God, you have to let go of everything you know, everything you have. He told his disciples, if you want to follow me, you have to drop everything and come to me. You can't take any of that stuff with you. He didn't say you're not going to have anything. He just said, you need to drop all of that stuff and come with me. I'll give you everything that you need. I will provide for you. Then he goes on to the, the guy who receives the seed in the good ground. This is the person that hears it, abides by it, and understands it. And this person tries to live it out each and every day. This person does fail. It has rough spells, but yet it, this person gets back up and keeps going. Therefore, this person grows to, to produce much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100. And he says, those who have ear, ears, let them hear. And you still think, okay, now I understand that parable. And I was at the same place in studying this message. Now I understand this parable. I understand the substance in this message. But still, why is this message so different? Because there was another message inside of that message saying that these people, if they don't understand this parable, this is why this is my first parable, and this is why this parable doesn't have that central connection. Because I'm trying to tell them if they don't understand this parable, anything I say after this, they're not going to get it. They're going to see it, not actually perceive it. They're going to hear it and not understand it. But if you realize that that seed that I'm about to sow into your life, if you realize that it's all based upon your soul, because you will notice in this verse there's only one seed. One type of seed. He sows many seeds, but there's only one type of seed, and there's only one sower. And he compares that seed to the gospel of Christ, and that sower is going to be anybody who shares that word. But yet it landed against different soil. So substance had nothing to do with the message. Substance has nothing to do with the person giving the message. Substance has everything to do with you, your life, and the way you're living it. So if you want to have substance, if you want happiness and you don't have it right now, you have to look at your soul. You need to check your pH. Something's not right in your soul. That's why it's not producing. We have plenty of farmers in here, right? Tell me if I'm wrong. Most of the work goes into that soil. The hardest 
part of the work probably goes into their soil, right? And then the next thing is probably keeping off pests, things that are going to destroy that plant and its yield, right? You have to work on your soil. You have to till that soil. You have to make that soil able to sustain. I read something. I was looking up different um, farming websites, and uh, this one farmer had this quote on here saying that most soil is less than perfect. And I thought about us. Most Christians are less than perfect, if not all. More than likely all of them were less than perfect. But you still see crops everywhere. Most soil is less than perfect, but if you work on it all summer, maybe all winter, whatever your yield is, if you work on it, you're going to produce fruit. But it starts in your soul. Your substance, your happiness, it starts in your soul. If you want to see a great plant with lots of substance, go to your soul. Think about it. You put water in, your, you put water in the soil, you don't put water on the seed. The nutrients is in the soil. Just about everything you need is in that soil. Fix your soul in order to have substance. Basically, you got three things that a plant needs. I'm just going to say basically. It's going to need water, nutrients, which comes from the soil, and the sun. In your life, you're going to need soil, good soil, nutrients in your soil, and you're going to have to nurture it, which is taking in more, studying your Bible, praying to God, hearing the word of God, taking that in. And then you let the sun do the rest, S-O-N, not S-U-N. This is how we have to live our lives in order to have substance. Now we're going to look at some of the other parables he told this day. He told approximately about nine of them, and this is through Matthew and Mark. He told two different ones in Mark. Well, Mark told two different ones. Let me see. You have the wheat and the tares, Matthew 24. Another parable put forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in the field? Where then comes these tares? And he said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? And he said, No. Lest you gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together unto the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together the first tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. But gather the wheat into the barn. And he was talking about the end of time, when Jesus will come back, the harvest time. And he was talking about how Christians, we're, we're in a world full of tares, which is bad people, those who are not seeking God. And they are very dangerous. But instead of him taking that danger away from us, he wants us to live through that danger to see if we're going to stay true to him, if we're going to continue to be weeds. We're going to continue to yield. And at harvest time, then when you be separated, but right now, you have to stay there. And whether you die spiritually, not physically, whether you die because of those tears, it's all, it's all on you. God is going to be there with you. He's still going to nurture both of them because think about it. He said, if I, tear, if I bring up the tares, I'm going to have to bring up the wheat with them. So that also means, like I said, if you want a plant to grow, you have to nurture it, right? So he's providing for both of them. Both of them need it because you need it. So if, uh, he, if the farmer goes and he has to put water on the tares, well, on the wheat, the tares are going to have to get it too. But if he don't, both of them die. So what he's going to do, he's going to let both of them live together. And that due time, then he's going to separate them. Then we have the grain of mustard seed in verse 31. 
He says, another parable put forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and become a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge on the branches thereof. Talking about how small the gospel is. Because you can go and you can give somebody the gospel. But throughout this whole Bible, the gospel only gets bigger. If you study it, you only learn more. You, you only find out that I can't even contain all of this stuff. But the little bit that I can contain, Jesus is still willing to take me with that little bit. That's why he told the parable about if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, move, and it, and it will be moved. And right here he's telling about that gospel. How it, it is small, but it grows to be one of the biggest branches, one of the biggest trees, so big that the birds can come and lay on it. And he's talking about your life and the seed that's been planted in your life, that if you nurture it, it will grow beyond your belief. The leavened bread. Now, I still, I kind of looked into leaven bread. I'm not really a baker, cooker, any of that stuff. But leaven, from what I found out, is it only takes a little bit for it to actually make the cake grow. Am I right, ladies? Okay. And so he was talking about a baker who puts leaven, three measures of leaven in her bread until the whole thing is leaven. And he's talking about also the gospel, the little gospel put here and there until all of it is leaven. Ministers, evangelists who go out here and sow seed everywhere until all has had a chance to make the decision of whether you want to serve Christ or whether you want to run from him. Treasure hid, that's um, Matthew 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a treasure hid in the field, that which when a man hath found it, he hid it, and, joy, and for joy thereof go and sell it all that he hath and buy the land. This is talking about those who go through their life seeking treasure. Seeking substance, and they find it. That substance, which is the gospel of Christ, they find it. And when they find it, they go and get rid of everything in their life in order to have this treasure because of how precious it is. And also it tells another verse about a guy who finds treasure hidden in the field. He goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. It's the same thing. Those people who seek worth, they seek value, and when they find it, they go and get rid of everything they have and buy in to their lifestyle. And right now, we are buying in into a certain lifestyle. And we have mm, the merchant man with pearls, Matthew 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's the same thing. The net. It's talking about a fisherman who dips his net into the water and pulls it up, and there's all types of fish. And he takes out those who he desires, the ones that he wants. Also talking about the harvest time. Talk, and um, Mark talks about two different ones. He has the candlestick in the bushel, saying that um, a candlestick basically isn't meant to be hid. Nobody lights a candle and put it under your bed. Talking about the light that, that he has lit in your life. He doesn't give you the light to go and hide it. He gives you the light in order to shine to those, the darkness around you. Telling you, don't take this and keep it for yourself. Don't be selfish. Go and show people I was told this, most people, are, they're not going to buy into Jesus. They're, they're not going to want to hear about that, but they're going to pay attention to everything that you do. And they're going to find Jesus through what you do. So sometimes we have to play that part of Jesus. We have to live a certain way in order for others to see Jesus. We can't just say, come to church with me. We can't just say, read this. They don't want to hear that. They want to look at you because you say you have it. So I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to pay attention to you. 
And what is it that's so good that you have that I should want to have? And through the way you live your life, they're going to want that substance that's in your life. And then you have, oh, uh, the guy who casts seed. And he wakes up every day and night checking that seed until it grows. And this is also talking about us who we have that gospel. Every night and day, we have to check on it. We have to make sure it's still growing. We have to provide extra so that it can keep growing and keep growing and keep growing. It's talking about you tending to your life in order to see growth. And so as I read all those parables, I'm like, those are all great parables. But the reason he started off with this parable, he wanted to tell them, don't even worry about any of these parables because you're not going to understand it. You're not going to see it in your life if you don't get your soul right. Because if you pay attention, most of those parables have to do with seed, have to do with some type of growth. But it all starts in your soul. So if you want to see substance, Jesus is telling you today, fix your soul. The problem is not in the seed. It's not in the soil, but it has everything to do with that soul. Uh, will everyone turn to Jeremiah? Let me see. Yeah, 3, 12 to 13. So in the men's room, you know, I'm a big boy now, so I go to the men's Bible study. Um, <laughs> we've been talking about God reaching the end of his patience, and I don't know if they're still on that message because I missed three weeks, graduation, senior trip, and something else. But um, we've been talking about how God reaches the end of his patience, and everybody will kind of find this true. We try to only look at God as that loving, gracious, and merciful God. We only want that half of him. A lot of us don't like to consider that wrathful side of God, that just side of God, that he is going to punish those who do wrong. He's going to pay everybody according to what they do. But we, we love that mercy part, that forgiveness part, because we know in that part that it's okay to mess up. So that we think. And so we, we've been going through many stories throughout the Old Testament, seeing where God has reached the end of his patience with certain people. How he's gotten to the point to where the Bible describes it as they're wax without remedy. Am I right? They have gotten so bad that there's, there's no medicine to fix it. There's no way to fix it. To where he just cuts them off. That's it. There is no hope anymore. There, there is no chance of making it because of how deep they went into that. And it actually scared me because for the next couple of weeks, I was thinking of God not only as their loving God, but I was respecting the wrathful side of him, that I have to do it right, that, that he's only going to go so far before it's over. And we know that Israel is the perfect example for this. The fact that Israel would go back and forth with God so much. And Israel definitely reminds me of us. Go back and forth with God so much. They'd, they'd get off and get captivated by somebody and then pray to God. Lord, save us. Will you let them destroy us? Are, are you going to let this happen to us? And then he'll save them. And they'll do the same thing. They'll worship other, other gods. They'll make other gods. Back and forth, back and forth. And we see right here that they get to the point to where God divorces them. This is how he describes it. He always looked at Israel as a, as a woman, and he divorces Israel. And this, one, this time it was different. Israel's reaction was different. Usually Israel would get divorced, and they'll cry out to God. God, we want you back. God, save us. They were experiencing bad things, but they weren't coming back. They got to the point to where they didn't want to come back. And so you would think that at this point, God is done. Like, I'm just going to let them go. 
But I found out that God is very wrathful. But love triumphs over everything. That his love, that love side of him is way bigger than that wrathful side of him. And right here, I'm just reading, I'm expecting that, oh yeah, Israel is done for good. And so Jeremiah, for those who don't know, is a prophet who was sent to Israel and Judea to tell them what God said. And so through these verses, on verse 1, it starts off, he asks the rhetorical question. They say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But I has played the harlot with many jewels, yet return again to me, said the Lord. So he, he describes Israel as a woman. He's done with Israel. He let Israel go, but Israel has went to other gods again. They have their, their own sin, not just one, not just only God, but they have many of them. And you would think right here God's done, but he asks them to return. And throughout these verses, you will see that Israel isn't coming back. They haven't thought about God. It's never triggered in their mind that we need God. They were, they were through with God. They just, they were too deep. They were waxed, gross. They didn't want to come back. And you would think, if God's tried this hard and he's also tried one more time and they're just not coming back, they're never coming back. But this is what he told Jeremiah to tell them. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return thou backsliding Israel with the Lord. And I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, said the Lord. I will not keep my anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And you have not obeyed my voice, said the Lord. So they got to the point to where they weren't coming back. They didn't think about God at all. Understand this. But yet God told Jeremiah to tell them, if you just come back to me, I won't even cause my anger to fall upon you. I won't even punish you for it. I want you that bad. My love is, is that great for you that I won't even punish you. If you just come back, I want you. Forget what you did. Just turn to me, acknowledge your iniquities, and I'll pull you back into my arms. And down, later on in the verses, he tells them, I'll bless you with better preachers, better leaders. Not only will I pull you back into my arms, I will bless you. I just want you to return. And he was talking to Israel and Judea, but right now he's talking to you guys. If you've been gone, I can't promise you that you won't be punished. But I can promise you that he will not hold his anger forever. I can promise you that he loves you more than he wants to make you pay for your wrongdoing. That was the whole point of Christ. If it was all about keeping you out of heaven, he wouldn't have sent Christ. But in fact, he wanted everybody to receive heaven. He wanted everybody to have everlasting life. Therefore, we see this God that is like, I, wanna, I just want to divorce you. I want to be done with you, but I can't. You, you hold a part of me. I made you in my image. I see myself in you, and you just you have so much value, even though you don't see it. Even though you only see a gilded part of it. To me, you mean a lot. So just come back. I want you, and today is the day to come back if you've been gone. If you've never came, today is the day to come. And also, we see, um, will everybody turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14? And this is my granddad's favorite verse. He might disagree, but I, I just, towards me, I think this has to be his favorite verse. Because I think at this point, our family kind of reflects to some of the things that were going on in this time. And this was after Solomon had built the temple. And he was talking to God. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and repent and turn back to me, then I will heal from heaven. I will forgive them and I will heal their land. 
So we were talking about soul, and we were talking about the different types of soul. Some of you might have noticed which person you are. You might be the wayside. You might be the stony place. You might be the thorn. Some of you might be the good ground. But if you're not the good ground, right here we see hope. In fact, that if you would just turn towards me, if you would just repent, acknowledge what you did, then you will hear from heaven. I will heal your land. I will give you that good soil. You don't have it. See, that's the problem. We try to give ourselves that good soil. Which we think we have to change our lives to be saved. But in fact, the, my Bible tells me, I don't know about yours, my version tells me that you need to be saved in order to see change in your life. Change that will last. But if you try to fix it yourself, you're only going to jack it up more. He's telling you, forget your sins, forget everything you know. Just drop everything and come towards me. I will do the fixing. I will give you more. I will renew. But you must come to me. Just acknowledge everything. Leave everything behind. Forget about yourself. Just focus on me, and I'll get you through the storm. We can overcome this, but I want you more than you want yourself, more than you want me, more than your family wants you, but I want you. My love is greater. Right now, the musicians, you may, may wake your, make your way up here. I'm sorry. Had to do that joy special. <laughs> right now, if you don't know Christ, or if you've strayed away, right now is the time to come back. Tomorrow isn't promised. My great-granddad used to tell me tomorrow is a mystery. You can't depend on it. Yesterday was history. There's no going back, but right now is your time. Right now is your time to get it right. Right now, if you've never experienced him, right now is the time to get it. Because he has substance for you. He wants to heal your land. He wants to give you a shot. Every single one of you. Forget about yourself. Forget about your guilt. He knows about your guilt. He knows it already, but if you would just turn to him and acknowledge it. He will take you beyond your belief. He wants to give you substance that will last. The altars are open. Come up here and get it right. Or come up here and get it. But if you're too scared to come up here, there's an altar in your heart. And if you would just kneel at that altar and tell God, I know I'm wrong, but I know you're greater. And I want to live for you. I can't do it by myself, therefore I need you. Will you begin to work in my life? Today is the the day, church. Receive your substance. Thank you for your time.